you know, it was a little surreal. I, I, I we'd watched film on Stephen F. Austin that uh, before the game, and they were athletic all over the place on defense. There was a All-American guy named well, his last name was Kern. Um, he was the he was going to be my assignment, and I think it had a little bit to do with the weather that day and just the way we jumped out on them. But we kind of seemed to break their will by halftime. They were not interested in coming out and competing too hard in that second half. Welcome to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions podcast series, along with Colton Juana's I Am Ryan Tutel. In this episode, we have the opportunity to highlight Mike Agee. Agee was an outstanding junior guard on the 95 team out of Kalispell Flathead High School. And Coulter, like so many on this team, a Montana born and bred player who wanted to be a Grizzly his whole life. Mike Agee, an outstanding athlete at Flathead High School. He earned eight letters, including yeah, three in football, two in track, and two in wrestling. But he was the state champion in the discus as a senior, and that athleticism earned him offers in both football and track from around the Northwest. Like you said, Ryan, he was dead set on becoming a Montana Grizzly, and he became one of the only Montana Grizzly offensive linemen of the modern era to ever become a four-year starter. In 1995, he extended his streak of consecutive starts to 29 games. He was a first-team All-American, according to the Sports Network, and a third-team All-American by the Associated Press, a multiple-time first-team All-Big Sky selection, and one of the great interior offensive linemen in the history of the University of Montana. Mike Agee, a pivotal member of Montana's 1995 National Championship team, and then one of the stalwart leaders in 1996 as Montana won 14 straight games to return to the Division I AA National Championship. Agee gives a unique perspective because Montana was known for scoring so many points and throwing the ball all over the yard, but the offensive line, the steadiness of it, and the performance of Mike Agee himself definitely a key in Montana's 1995 National Championship season. Please enjoy our conversation in this episode of Grizz Grace with the University of Montana offensive guard, Mike Agee. Mike, thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm good, thanks. We're happy to have you here and obviously uh, uh, a ton to, uh, to get to and cover with you, but let's take you back to uh, playing high school. You're up there in Kalispell, and it seems like at this time, I know this is a topic that Coulter always likes to talk about because the state of Montana at one time delivered really high end and lots of offensive linemen it seemed like out of the high school ranks that were division one caliber montana montana state type of players and maybe even uh more than that you were one of those what do you remember about that time because there was there was a prolific number of of big guys that were playing football and were going on to big things at the next level too right yeah that's right um, it was it was competitive. There were a bunch of really pretty talented big guys at, at that time. You yourself, multiple sport athlete at Flathead High School. How much do you think that just influenced and contributed to to your rise being able to play Division One football? How much do you think wrestling and, and throwing the discus and track and doing all those other things helped uh, just accelerate your athletic development? Oh, I absolutely think, uh, especially track, um, even, you know, I was a thrower, just coordination, wrestling, mental toughness. I don't, you know, I definitely think as many sports as, as you could play really helped get re- get me ready for that next level at, at the collegiate level. And uh, I, boy, I sure don't regret any of that. And in fact, wished I'd have wrestled just a little bit more. I only wrestled three years and I, I picked it up kind of late. And that was, I think wrestling was probably the thing that, and especially as an offensive lineman, balance and strength and just being able to control your body and try to control another person's, you know, momentum and their body. That was a huge, huge asset as far as, you know, being, getting me ready for that next level. Now your senior year, state champion in the discus, 175 feet, five inches was the winning throw. That's pretty damn good. Did you get any looks for track? Because that's a that's a throw that could get you some Division One looks at, uh, at the track and field level and at, at the college level. Actually, uh, I did. I did get quite a few looks. Um, Pac-10 schools are interested. I think overall I had more offers uh, to, to have a scholarship to compete in track than I did for football. Um, some things that were surprising to me, I remember, you know, I didn't even know where Clemson was. 
Clemson was hot to have me come. So, yeah, I mean, I'm South Carolina, right? I have no idea at that time that, you know, Clemson even exists. I knew they were a good football program, but they were after me to come throw discs for them. And, uh, you know, it just made – I had already had my heart set to go play at the University of Montana from, you know, that's what I wanted to do. But it was surprising, I think, in the end, the number of schools that were pursuing me for, for a track scholarship. It's fascinating thing about recruiting way back then because uh, you know, Shannon Schwain, formerly Shannon Kitt, she told us a story when she was getting recruited. She was getting recruited by a ton of schools, but she said she had full knowledge of what Notre Dame and Stanford were, but she got an offer from Vanderbilt. She said she remembers driving down to the library in Billings and saying, where the heck's Vanderbilt? I'd never heard of this Vanderbilt before. <laughs> yeah. So, so a little yeah. story with you, with you and Clemson. What was what yeah. was Flathead High like back in, back uh, twenty five years ago, or I guess probably more of around thirty years ago? Because no glacier yet, right? At just a single high school. So what no. do you remember just about your days as a Brave? You know, I remember pretty well. It was a big school. There were a lot of students, uh, and I remember athletics was really competitive. Um, the class in front of me, I graduated in 92, but that 91 class was really talented. Um, they had a guy named Mark Gilman in that class, a bunch of other guys that went on and played college sports. Um, you know, being an athlete at Flathead High School was it was kind of a big deal. And like I said, it was really competitive. And uh, my memories aren't, you know, super fond. I didn't really love my high school experience we i don't know we didn't we didn't excel we didn't win a lot of games <laughs> god bless but, you mike uh, you're amongst friends been... here okay <laughs> we, we, yeah. you, we can commiserate all the three of us together all right yeah but uh you know as for as many kids we had we should have been pretty awesome and we were just middle mediocre well, so I'm interested, though, because, you know, you said, you know, kind of in the end, man, I had some offers to do multiple different sports, multiple different schools. But you said I had my heart set that I wanted to play at the University of Montana. So wh- where did that come from? What was what was going on in terms of your family or, your you know, your time there in Kalispell where it was like, all right, if I can go be a Grizzly, play football there, that's what I want to do. Uh, I remember really well the day I decided I wanted to be a Grizz. And um, we had played, let's see, I was a sophomore in high school. We'd come down to play a JV game against Sentinel. And it was a morning game on a Saturday. And we got done with our our game. And I think the Grizzlies kicked off at one. And, you know, those were the days, grass end zones, that would have been like, what, 1990 maybe? Yeah. 91. And, uh, you know, the, the stadium was small. It wasn't packed. And there was a spot for us to sit. Our whole team, our JV team, was taken over. from. We went from Sentinels Fields over to Washington Grizz, and the whole our whole JV team was seated kind of where the students sit now, up in that corner above them. And uh, we watched Gary Bennett and that team just destroy Weber State. And, they, you know, the, the, the receivers are running all around where they're scoring touchdowns, the cannons going off. And I'm like, man, I want a part of this, this atmosphere, even though it was nothing close to what it is now. I mean, those guys were winning, and it was a fun game to watch, and I wanted a part of that then. And I remember that was, that was the day I was like, I want to be a Grizz. Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, is sponsored by First Security Bank. And Coulter, while First Security has long been a supporter of the University of Montana and UM Athletics, people might be surprised to know how much First Security Bank, in fact, influenced the University of Montana program and the path they were on directly. Back in 1993, the Grizz were on their way to their second ever berth in the Division One AA playoffs. Previously, in 1989, the only other time Montana had made it to the Division One AA playoffs, and at that time, first round home games awarded via a bidding process, and so to help support the Grizz football team as well as fortify the faith throughout the community of Missoula, Bill Boucher, former president of First Security Bank, stepped up to the table to help the University of Montana guarantee any potential revenue lost for the first round of the play. Playoffs, and of course, that was recouped in a big way as the University of Montana in 1993 then started the first of 17 straight playoff berths. And in 1995, that local optimism was turned into national prominence as Montana made a run all the way to the 1995 national championship. First Security Bank is proud to sponsor Grizz Greats and this 25 part podcast series commemorating the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions. First Security Bank a proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. You know, how big a deal is it 
for especially guys in state where Montana is, you know, the biggest show, right? I mean, playing playing the Big Sky Conference is, is our, quote, professional level. It's the highest level you can play in the state of Montana. To plant that dream into kids, you know, where you, kids grow up, their cats or their grizz, and, and even if they have an offer to go to Clemson or maybe the Pac-12 or something like that, they go, but this is the thing that I've wanted my whole life. And, and maybe sometimes, you know, you, the, then the University of Montana ends up punching above its weight class in terms of some of the recruits it gets, especially in state, because of that, right? That's right, yeah. I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, we are the only, you know, the best show around. It was, it's exciting football. It's gotten better. Um, and I knew, I knew that no one was going to come watch me. I, I, I'm also, I got to tell you, I love Montana, the state in general. And I, right. I want to live here as long as I can. And uh, going out of state for college at that time, I, I could kind of, even then pretty young, didn't realize what I was totally getting myself into. But I, I just knew I always wanted to be, you know, in Montana. I wanted to live here. I wanted to work here. So it made most, no sense for me to kind of to, to leave Montana. I mean, University of Wyoming offered me a football scholarship, and I thought, yeah, I don't, I don't want to play for Wyoming. I want to stay in Montana. And, yeah, I mean, being being that uh, it, it is our, our big biggest event in the fall, it, yeah, I think the university is able to, to kind of pick up some athletes that might maybe go elsewhere. But, you know, they're like me. They wanted to stay and be a part of uh, this Montana tradition. You come to the University of Montana and then uh, break into the starting lineup as a freshman, and it's very few guys that have ever started four years at the University of Montana, particularly on the offensive line. What were the contributing factors? What do you think helped you break into the starting lineup on what became a playoff team as a redshirt freshman in 1993? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think I, – I mean, I think Coach Denny, he was instrumental in that. I, I – uh, I think there were some guys above me that he saw that maybe there were a couple of underclassmen that had greater potential and in, in, in the long run, I think he was developing us at, even as a freshman. Cause I split time with Jeff Zellick. I mean, we both started every other game and that's kind of how it worked. And uh, I think coach Dennehy saw that both of us were going to be guys that could contribute the next year as sophomores, having all that freshman year experience. And uh, we were pretty, I mean, Jeff and I were really similarly, I mean, he was a bigger guy than me, but we, you know, we both were pretty good. Um, we learned a lot as, as freshmen that year. I mean, the second game of our season, we we're, you know, playing against the Oregon Ducks and, you know, it was humbling freshman senior against a senior <laughs> Oregon Duck lineman. It was, it was uh, intimidating, but, you know, kind of trial by fire and it worked out well. Uh, so I, I think coach Dennehy is, is the one that should receive a lot of the, all credit for developing us and uh i mean freshman or freshman i don't you, you just you just try to survive and, and try not to get your quarterback killed you know it's interesting when when you came to the university of montana there's a guy by the name of scott Gregg who you may recall uh that was on the offensive yep. lineman for the grizzlies and i think he's about two years maybe older than you uh and as it turns out, in you know, in retrospect, maybe the greatest offensive lineman in the history of the University of Montana. But maybe you don't you don't see it as that at the time. But do you remember showing up to you know to school to the team and go, well, who the heck is this guy? Is this like you know what I'm I, I need to develop into? Or what was it? Was it intimidating maybe initially? But then you know you work into that and then follow in that lineage behind you know such a such a great great football player like him. Right. No, uh, Scott was one of those guys that you looked at that you knew was going to be able to probably play on Sundays. Um, I think we all, as an offensive line, were developing. We were trying to get better as as a, as a unit. And, I mean, I don't really – my memory doesn't just strike me as, as, as Scott Gregg is this just amazing football player. We were all just kind of trying to find our way, win mm. a Big Sky championship, try to get down the road, you know, and, and see if we couldn't win some playoff games. And uh, as far as a you know a role model and something like that, I mean, he was definitely a guy that you looked up to. Um, but as a technician, there were some other uh, I can think of another player that I really looked up to that played my position specifically, and he had that kind of the right tools and fundamentals, and he was the guy I really looked up to, and that, his name was Frank Garrett. You mentioned Coach Dennehy, and it's an interesting dynamic that Mick. You know, we talked to him a little while back, and the offensive coordinator for a really spread out, high-flying, high-scoring 
pass-heavy offense, but also the offensive line coach, an interesting dichotomy. So being uh, in the room with Coach Dennehy, knowing that he's the one calling the plays, but also teaching you the fundamentals of playing in the trenches, uh, what were what was that dynamic like? How did that add just to the, the, the offense in general and just how good you guys were as an offensive front? Right. Um, I just – Coach Dennehy was just a great coach, um, always – tried to get you the most out of you, um, was really a good motivator. You know, as far as play calling, I, I mean, I shoot, I don't remember, uh, kind of who <laughs> was calling the plays. I was probably too young when we were first doing that to even to really know that and, uh, just trying to get my assignment done. But coach Dennehy certainly was, um, was great to have as a coach. I'll, you know, cherish those times and a lot of great memories of him. Through most of your uh, college career, you uh, you protected a guy named Dave behind you, who uh, was a pretty good I college know. quarterback, from what I understand as well. What do you remember about uh-huh. you know what was the relationship like? I guess between you and the offensive line in particular, and this guy back there that's certainly relying on you, but also is you know is, is such a great player in his own right. Well, I know that David made us look better. Um, you know, sometimes we would slip an assignment or somebody would come off a block and, and, you know, they they get pressure on him. And he was such an elusive player that, you know, he kind of made us look good. And, uh, and I, you know, I hope we didn't let him down. I think overall we did a pretty good job of protecting him, but uh, he was so special back there in the backfield and running that offense. Um, he, he made everybody look better. It is interesting because the, the, you know, the common wisdom says, well, you, if you get a great offensive line, they protect the quarterback, then the quarterback's got more time to do what he does, and, you know, you're going to be more successful and all that, and certainly that is true. But it's a two-way street, right? Like, you, you know, the quarterback can help his offensive line out a lot, and I don't know if a lot of people think of it in that direction in terms of what he's able to do to be elusive, to cover up, you know, mistakes or just, you know, guys that, you know, maybe you lose a one-on-one battle on a particular play, and that's the way it goes, and he comes yeah. through for you, huh? Exactly, yeah. There was times when someone would blow, you know, a, a blocking assignment, and he would uh, he would just come out looking really good. I mean, he'd find somebody who was open, slip a slip a tackler and find the open receiver and you know you don't think about that it doesn't show up as as a statistic um but he really did he did do that for us and and uh, i mean he did that for the receivers and the running backs as well that offense i mean looking at the statistics and i remember watching the offense too when i was growing up so many bubble screens Uh and so many uh, wide open passes getting the ball to the guys in the flat or over the middle or wherever it might be not a super high priority yeah. on running between the tackles. So what was that dynamic like playing offensive line? Was it was it different than uh, maybe a traditional offensive lineman is expected to perform? I would I have to say I think it really was a different experience for us. Um, I think they our coaches seeing where our assets were, our athleticism as a line in general, you know we were able to get downfield and make some blocks for those bubble screens. And because of that, you know, they, they utilized a lot of those plays where maybe today's linemen are different. They're bigger guys. They're not as mobile as we were. Um, you know, I don't think we were, we were really bad at run blocking, but our, our, our focus was being pass blockers and being athletes on the field as much as anybody. I mean, it, it, I, I, think, I think you watch the old film from those days and you see our whole interior line downfield on those screens making blocks, and you just don't see that as much anymore. I don't know if defenses are changed since then, but, uh, you know, I think they just put us in the best situation to be successful, and, and, it, and it was our athleticism that allowed that. You know, Mike, the, uh, the football program – you know, was kind of middling and even at times down going back, right, 70s, 80s, and so Uh on. But it was building. You even mentioned, hey, in high school, 1991, whatever, you went and watched Montana blow out Weber State. But when you got there, it was really – feels like it was it was on its way to something special could you sense that as a player sort of the building of this program and and what you know was going to be you know headed into national prominence and eventually of course a national championship what we'll get to but could you sense that that building of of something big I did and it I remember very well when that that kind of sense 
struck me. Uh, it was our recruiting class. It was when we were recruited the winter before we all showed up. Um, the entire class kind of was at one big recruiting trip. I know it was a Cat Grizz basketball game. And I got to meet some of those guys, and it's a lot of my, you know, was, was to be my future teammates. And I remember, I think it was Mike Earhart made a comment, like, I'm doing this, we're doing this, we're going to be great. You know, he said something like that then, and it kind of opened my eyes to, like, yeah, we are going to be something great if all these guys show up. And for the most part, everybody signed, and and we became a pretty successful class. And that, that, is, that is a really distinct memory. I think he, he, I think he said that to Blaine McElmurray. <laughs> So. I love it. Well, the the uh, a part of that class yourself. You mentioned Jeff Zellick. You mentioned Dave Kemper. Yeah. So did did you guys start yep. cultivating chemistry as an offensive line unit early on? You know that that freshman year I started and Jeff and I split time. Uh, there was there was some seniors on that line. There was a senior center, like I mentioned, Frank Garrett's name. He was our senior right guard. Um, there was another tackle. Scott Gregg was in there, that mix. I think that that class, you know, that was during that time when I was a freshman, you know, what I'm trying to say basically is that um, they got us ready to get to, to excel. I mean, they were the ones that kind of tutored us, mentored us, and just and, and, and told us, too, that, like, you guys are really good. You need to do special things. So as much as anything, we got a lot of support from those guys. But I, you could tell everything was growing, everything was building. Um, the expectations f- f- amongst our team was were just it was really high. We expected to do great things, and uh, luckily we were able to go out and do it on the field. That '94 season, your you redshirt freshman one, a great season. You go, you know, several mm-hmm. weeks into the playoffs, you lose Dickinson, obviously there at the end, and and who knows what happens if he'd mm-hmm. you know been healthy. When you go into that '95 right. season, I know that you had a ton of confidence, but. What were the expectations? We've heard a couple stories from some of the folks we talked to already about, hey, there was a moment where people said, hey, winning a Big Sky championship, going to the playoffs, that's not a big enough goal. We can do, we can do even better than that. Right. No, I think we noticed that or realized that, uh, I think it was a couple years even before that 90, uh, it was the year before, 93. And we were a one and done. We, you know, I don't, you remember the game when we lost to Delaware, 48-49. Yeah. We should not have lost that game, and we realized at that point, like, hey, this offense we're on, we can we can score points with anybody, and we need to set our our standard and our set our bar a little higher than just winning the Big Sky. And uh, I think that was that to me, and I think to some of my our teammates, I think that game made us realize that we were better than than we than the Big Sky itself. I mean, the Big Sky is so good, and it was good. But I think we had bigger, you know, bigger sights in our in our in our scope, so to speak. You know Blackfoot Communications for our dedication and commitment to supporting the communities we serve. Did you also know we're experts at keeping customers and businesses connected to their families and clients? At home, Blackfoot keeps you connected with fast internet, reliable phone, and work-from-home options. For your business, Blackfoot keeps you connected with secure corporate networks, unified communications, and remote workforce solutions. For more information, visit grizzgreats.com or call 866-541-5000. Blackfoot, connect to more. That's an interesting factor to me, too, when we're remembering the league 25 years ago because it was a distinctly different league than it is now. Nevada had just moved on. Boise State, Idaho still in the league. No Sac State yet, no Portland State, none of these West Coast teams. So what do you remember about just the landscape of the big sky, just how competitive it was? Because at that moment, Montana had not yet ascended to the, the point where everybody was chasing the Grizz. It seemed as if it was kind of a battle royale between several different pretty powerful programs at the time. That's right. That's right. Eastern Washington in those days was a big monkey on our back that we had to get rid of. And there's, you know, they're still around, but you know, being Boise in the conference in Idaho, it was a, it was a daunting task to get through those Idaho schools. <laughs> and uh, if you could make it through that and win your in-state rival, beat your in-state rival, you know, that was kind of the goal, but I'm just, the conference was, was really good. Um, those games against Idaho were some battles. The Boise state games were great games. Um, it was a, it was a, it was a fun conference, and I think you know I'd love to see it, it's still that way. I mean, it's just as competitive as ever, but it was different, no doubt. 
in the playoffs of 1995, uh, particularly in the, the the three home games that you had, uh, the offense was yeah. prolific uh, throughout that time. And a lot of people, when they think of that 95 team, uh, think about the, the unbelievable offense. Shoot the whole Don Reed era, Dave Dickinson and everything, uh, and then into Brian uh-huh. Ayotte, of course. But that defense was also really good. Who was the who yeah. was the toughest guy that you had to go against in practice day in and day out through that season? Oh man, our defensive line was was just they were good and they were underratedly good, I think. Um, but there was one individual that stood out to me that I just I had a hard time blocking in our drills and our one on one stuff in practice. And Ryan Thompson was just a really hard guy for me to get a hand on and keep on the line of scrimmage. I mean, he mm. blew us up all the time. And, you know, I think he was underrated in general. He was just a great player. And uh, he, does, he doesn't get a lot of recognition for that. But, man, he was tough. And I grew up right up the street from Ryan Thompson, and uh, they had a trampoline yeah. in their backyard. And you did not want to jump on the trampoline with Ryan Thompson <laughs> because he's about six yeah. four, three hundred. So when you're a little kid and he spikes yeah. you, you're flying. <laughs> I remember, but he was yeah. such a workout yeah. warrior, though. I remember him. He used to always be doing push-ups yeah. and jumping jacks all over the yard, and he was he was definitely oh. a stud, an underrated guy, no doubt. For sure, yeah, he was so hard to keep on the line. I mean, strong and athletic, and just. Oh, man, he gave offensive linemen fit. Offensive linemen fits is what I tried to say. Tough guy to block. During the course of the season, actually on the field, the games that you played, you had you had a, a, a really good competitive game that ended up being a loss at Washington State and then the loss at Boise State, mm-hmm. and that was it. That was the only two mm-hmm. you know losses on the yep. schedule. And then you really, after that Boise State game, started rolling – what was that experience like, and especially when you get into the postseason? And it's not—I mean, those were like the least competitive games of your entire season. Were you know a, a national semifinal for crying out loud? What was that experience like to have that happen and to have it happen in Missoula? You know, it was a little surreal. I, I, I we'd watched film on Stephen F. Austin that uh, before the game, and they were athletic all over the place on defense. There was an all-American guy named well, his last name was Kern. Um, he was the he was going to be my assignment, and I think it had a little bit to do with the weather that day and just the way we jumped out on them. But we kind of seemed to break their will by halftime. They were not interested in coming out and competing too hard in that second half. Um, just a special experience. We sure expected a lot more of a game out of that. Um, I think it's just a a, a a culmination of things. But it was just us kind of peaking at the right time and really just putting our put to their throats toward the second half. It was an awesome experience, great feeling. And and out of that, out of all three of those games, especially that Stephen F. Austin game, you got to carry a ton of confidence. But also, when you head to Huntington, West Virginia, first of all, as it turns out, it's a Dagnab road game, right? And then second of all, uh, Marshall, probably the best team that you played over the course of the season, honestly, all things considered. And the biggest game, not just in terms of the title, but even the biggest crowd. I mean, there's more people at that game than even the Wazoo game. And it turns out yeah. to be a, a, a bit of a struggle offensively, right? I mean, they're very good defense. They were their front front seven was outstanding. What do you remember about that game? Like, say in the first half in particular, where you're really trying to get this thing off the ground, coming off of forty five points, seventy points, and like that. Yeah, right. It was. Uh, we were definitely stifled there. We weren't able to move the ball like we had been. And I, I got to tell you, Marshall was loaded. They, and you just nailed it. I mean, their their front seven was outstanding. Their middle linemen were great. Their their, their rush ends were, gave our tackles fits. Uh, I mean, they were really good. And I think I, I was talking to Joe Douglas oh, on one of our Zoom meetings we had over the last oh, few months back. And I think there were, he said there were nearly, I think I was over a dozen guys off their team went on to, to get some sort of a professional contract where we just had a handful, um, but they were loaded and, oh man, they were, you know, it was tough to, 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 to play offense against that good a defense. And yeah, they were better than Washington state. And that was just one of the best teams we had played in that whole time, you know, as a, as a Grizzly and all the years, that was a, a really great team. We, we got matched up against how vividly do you remember the the national championship game specifically? It's um, honestly, I mean, it, it's a bit of a blur. 
it was they were fast they were green they were flying around um it was it was a hard game and it it went really quickly it seemed to me it was just a flash and i remember the best the thing i remember the most is we're lining up for that kick larson's kick that won the game and uh pretty nerve-wracking and when that went through it was, uh, it, was a, it was a tremendous feeling still had a few seconds left they tried to kick a long field goal but the specifics of the game, I really have a hard time pinpointing. It was, like I said, it was a blur. They were fast and all over the place, and we were just trying to hang in there. Um, and, and that was, that. like you to your point, we'd been so successful throughout the playoffs, and then we, we got this that team, and, man, they were just, they were good. And we played a perfect game, and they made a few mistakes, and we ended up on top. Were you on the field for that kick? I was. And – when you go out there, obviously you've got to block the person in front of you. You know you got to do it. But also, is it like, man, I can't flinch. We, I can't cost Andy five yards in a situation like this. I mean, this is for yeah. this is for the game. How much is going through your mind in that moment? All that, you know, just just do your job. Step down, make a good block on. You know, make sure the field goal doesn't get blocked. And uh, you know, I remember I was on the I was on the left side of that kick, and it was kind of veering to the left. And I wasn't sure it was going through. Right. <laughs> and I actually couldn't tell. And then I saw the uh, referees throw their arms up. You know, it was good. And, man, it, that was a great feeling. When the game comes to a close, that, that 62 yeah. or 65-yard field goal or whatever it is, that even make it to the end zone, you take the field. Right. I'm, I'm sure a whole myriad of emotions kind of rush over you, but what do you remember in the immediate aftermath, whether it was somebody that you're hugging on or somebody you're talking to or whatever? What, what, what was that like in the, on the field and then in the locker room after that game? Oh, just total exuberance, um, and a feeling like I can't really describe. I, I'm, I don't have any children. I'm, I, I'm told it's similar to having your first child or having a child. But, uh, you know, I remember well my, my, my parents were there Hugging teammates was awesome, but I was really, you know, one of the first big hugs I was looking forward to was my, my parents, my mom and my dad, who had supported me so much through the whole thing. So I, I really remember that well, uh, grabbing those guys and holding them tight. I've got kids, but I got no national championship. So I guess we're just going to have to, you know, say that, yeah, okay, yeah. So we're, we're, we're in agreement here. It's about the same thing. I'm totally yeah. with that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It's pretty special. It was a special feeling. I can almost, you know, get a little bit just talking about it right now. It kind of makes you well up a little bit. Coulter, in 1993, the Grizz football team was looking to host its first playoff game of the decade and just its second season of playoffs in school history. As we know, you got to have some financial backing to guarantee a home game, and former First Security Bank President Bill Boucher stepped up, spearheading a group of local business owners to guarantee that bid for UM Athletics, and that commitment from First Security Bank to UM has never wavered. Bill Boucher, Gordy Fix, several other business owners around the city of Missoula certainly had a huge influence in stepping up, certainly some of the first true believers in what Grizz football could become and what they could mean to the Missoula community. Two years later, in 1995, the University of Montana had turned that local optimism into national prominence. The Grizz won the Division I AA National Championship, the first national title in the history of the university. And 25 years later, First Security Bank is still proud to sponsor the Grizzlies. First Security Bank, a presenting sponsor for Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that epic 1995 season. First Security Bank, proud sponsor of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. Well, Mike, it seems talking to so many of your teammates that it was sort of a duality of feelings all the way until that kick went through. Both the hopes and dreams of wanting to accomplish uh, the ultimate goal as a college football player, but also a belief that maybe uh, a belief you even greater than maybe anyone else shared besides the guys in that locker room that you guys could and would do it. So, how big of, the, of a factor was it? Just the the confidence that you guys played with, and and sort of the the singular focus of of leading up to that moment to accomplish that goal. Yeah, that was certainly the goal. Um, accomplishing it was turned out to be a lot harder than I think I think we thought. I think we were confident going into that championship game, having rolled through the playoffs. Um, we didn't know how good Marshall really was. We really didn't. And, man, it uh, – I guess to the – yeah, to your point, it was just 
it was just an awesome experience. I don't even really know what to say more than that. You know, it, it's interesting, Mike, because you can only do it the first time once, right? And yeah, a place like right. Alabama, a place like Clemson, Ohio State at the at the FBS level, or a place like North Dakota State, and now like Montana at the FCS level, there's a certain uh-huh. – I don't know if it's an expectation, but it's certainly a belief. Hey, this is what we do around here. We go to national championships. We win national championships. But that wasn't the case at Montana until you guys did it. What was it? What was it like to break through that barrier? If 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 you sensed that at all, like this has never been done before, and we're trying to do this. Right. You know, do you, do you do you have a sense of sort of that accomplishment and what that meant for the future of Grizzly football? You know, at the time, I, I don't think we did. We were yeah. just trying to take it. Honestly, we were taking it one game at a time. Let's just take the next game and win that game. And let's take the next game and win that game. With, with the goal of winning the national title. And we didn't have that added pressure. Like, we're doing this for our community. We're doing this for our state. That wasn't at all, in our, in, at least in my mind. I don't think it was in my teammates' mind. We were really at bought into what the coaches were preaching. Let's just take this one, one, one at a time. Uh, take care of business every week. But having then, having accomplished that and looking back, um, man, it was a big deal uh, for our for our program. I think for the state of Montana, and yeah, it did change the the culture at the University of Montana. And we expect to win playoff games, and we expect to be in national championship games. And you could see that the evidence of that, you know, those following years when they were so dominant. But that I, I'm honestly telling you, that wasn't one of our motivators. It wasn't. We just wanted to win all the games we could, and if we could get to the end and, and be there and win that game, then then we've done our job. But it wasn't added pressure. And now that it has been done, it's back, and you look at it, and it's like, well, that was pretty neat what we accomplished. But right. no, it wasn't. Uh, there wasn't any added pressure. We we had enough pressure, I think, amongst ourselves. We wanted that. We knew we wanted that, and we would have been disappointed had we not gotten there. And yeah, we'd have been disappointed had we not won the game. And <laughs> And if the, if the ball bounces a few different ways, we might not have won the game. But uh, we played, like I said, a perfect game for the most part and came out of there victorious. So, good deal. Your senior year then, because a lot of you guys on that offensive line were juniors as, as winning the national championship. Yeah. Coming into your senior year, what do you remember about just the differences in not only just the dynamic of the team, but maybe the way teams approached Montana? Because it seemed as if there was this, this tipping point when you guys won the national championship. Now, all of a sudden, Montana's nationally elite. Now, all of a sudden, Montana's the number one team in the country. And you guys endured all of yeah. that pressure all the way until another national championship game appearance. But what, what are the biggest differences you remember just about the dynamic of that 96 season? Well, we returned most of the team minus our, our all-star quarterback. Um, and luckily, we got another guy that came in and just did great. But our confidence level was really high. And I think that had a big factor in that, in that whole season. I mean, we knew how good we were, how good we could be. We knew how to win. Um, we'd come from behind and played close games. And it just made it a one little bit easier to go through that season with the confidence. And we fully expected to rematch with Marshall. Now, we did not expect to run into Randy Moss. We didn't know about him. <laughs> now, we've talked to a but, couple of the yeah. defensive folks, and they said they tried everything. But I never saw you line up at cornerback. <laughs> I thought maybe they run, you know, run Mike no. Agee out there and let him try and stop him. Right? No, I think uh, I think they – no, there was no stopping him. It wouldn't have helped much if I'd have <laughs> been out there. <laughs> right. uh, not at all. No. It might have been worse. But uh, – no, that guy was special, and uh, he, I think he, his his uh, his records speak for himself. That guy is pretty great. Well, it's as Blade McElmore told us. He said, "Well, the moment I got Randy Moss, I thought there's no way I'm going to play in the NFL." And then I got to the NFL and realized there's nobody even in the NFL like Randy Moss. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. He was a special player. So no, I I, uh, I just know that the momentum we had from '95 just this catapulted us into that '96 playoff run and back to the national championship game. The emergence of Brian Ayao, at what moment did you guys gain confidence in him? Because I think that the, obviously the gigantic storyline of the 96 season coming into it was replacing yeah. Dave Dickinson. Sure. But then this sophomore kid from Hawaii starts throwing for a million yards yeah. against everybody. You guys pound Oregon State yeah. to start the year and, and off and running. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, 14 straight wins later and, and he's a Walter Payton finalist yeah. and all this stuff. At what, at what moment did it click with Brian Ayao running the ship? 
you know, we, we had confidence in Brian from the get-go. Um, as, as a, at least our offensive line did. Our receivers knew. Um, I don't think the rest of – I don't think anybody knew how good he would be or could be. You know, and that was those are big, big, big shoes to fill. But I know that, you know, he was solidified in our team's mind for sure after that Oregon State game when he when we came out and kind of dominated that 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 Oregon State team. And, uh, you know, it just helped. The confidence just helped us go through the season. You know, uh, one game that doesn't get talked about all that much is the semifinal of the 96 season in which the number four mm-hmm. team in the country, Troy, heads to Washington Grizzly, mm-hmm. and it's an even bigger beatdown by a touchdown than it was <laughs> the year before the 70, semifinal. I mean, you guys won 140-21 right. to 21 in two semifinal games in two seasons. Right. I mean, it's right. incomprehensible, but 70-7. to seven, Do you, do you yeah. remember that game? Does that stand out to you in a, in a, a setting oh, like yeah. that? Oh, I sure do. There was a really good player that was playing on the defensive line right across from me, and I Pretty sure the first play of on we had on offense. I can't remember if they got the ball first or we did, but I know the first play on offense. He picked picked the pass off, just went up and scooped it and took it in for seven. And we're like, okay, that that's that's different. And uh, good, you know, I think his name was Pratt Lyons. In fact, I'm sure of it. And yeah, he took uh, he took the first play of the game and took it in for seven. And it was a little concerning. And we just kept playing our game and doing our thing, and it and it ended up being that that yeah, huge blowout. But yeah, we it caught our attention. <laughs> and, uh, I guess it caught it enough team. to go ahead and score ten straight touchdowns. Uh, so that's pretty. Yeah, good. yeah. Just remembering uh, that Troy State was an athletic team too, and they just they got the similar thing happened with them as at Stephen F. You know that you come in, it's a kind of cold day, you get on top, and I know they just you know they they just didn't seem to play that hard in the second half. And in fact, I don't think we as starters played much in the second half in either of those games. At least the fourth quarter, I know we didn't play. So <laughs> our backups got in and did really good. They got some reps. Well, the other big storyline coming into that 96 year and throughout the 96 year, too, was Don Reed retiring after the 95 season and Mick Dennehy taking over. So you probably had a, yeah. a different perspective as an offensive lineman than a lot of guys on the team because you've been so close with Coach Denny, he working in his room and, and having him be your position coach as well. What are the biggest differences you remember when yeah. Mick took over the program? You know, it didn't it didn't really change much for us. It was just it was it took our our position coach as the head coach, and we were used to hearing hearing from him anyway. Um, it just was a little different when he was talking to the team instead of just us as a unit and. Uh, we you know we always loved Coach Dennehy and and uh, we just got to see more of him I guess. You know Blackfoot Communications for our dedication and commitment to supporting the communities we serve. Did you also know we're experts at keeping customers and businesses connected to their families and clients? At home, Blackfoot keeps you connected with fast internet, reliable phone, and work-from-home options. For your business, Blackfoot keeps you connected with secure corporate networks, unified communications, and remote workforce solutions. For more information, visit grizzgreats.com or call 866-541-5000. Blackfoot, connect to more. You graduate 96 and then in the spring of 97, and uh, you've been doing a little fishing during the course of your uh, college career there, working uh, working uh, on the rivers, and you turn that into what's been a career. I know you're transitioning again now into to some real estate as well, but talk to us about your life since then, being an outfitter and, and uh, being in Helena, basically, since you graduated and, and doing that work, not just in the state of Montana. I know you traveled to, like, New Zealand, among other places. So what has what the life of, yeah. of, of Mike been over the ca- past 25 years? Uh, well, it's been, it's been pretty good. I've, I feel fortunate to have done as many oh, – adventurous things as I've been able to do. And I have to tell you, it started back in college as a college job. I went to work for an outfitter here in Helena by the, at the company's name was Paul Roos Outfitters and uh, a teammate, Mike Kowalski, his uncle and Paul were partners. And so we started guiding on the Smith river in Montana and we had a great crew, a bunch of ex athletes. We were able to move gear down rivers and set up tents and carry heavy things and, Anyway, it was it was kind of a you know a, a similar team effort to pull off these great trips we did on the Smith, and mm. that Smith River guiding catapulted me into the next really kind of a 
big adventure where uh, Kowalski, myself, and another guy who played football for Carroll, Steve Joyce, we all went down to South America and guided in Chile. And that first year of guiding in Chile and our connections we made from that um, landed us, landed me another couple of jobs in South America where I worked um, down in Coyhaique, Chile, and then that kind of worked into Argentina. So, you know, those connections from college, college job took me kind of all over the world fishing. And uh, I did, I went to New Zealand and was there. I've been all through the Caribbean. I, my thing now is I really like saltwater fishing as much as, as any kind. I, so mm. I'm, Anything bonefish, tarpon, permit, anything you can go after in salt water, I'm going to try to you know, experience that at, at some point. And I've been pretty fortunate to have fished a lot of places, and it's been a really great run. Um, I, I, I don't. I mean, I loved. I love every part of being a fishing outfitter. But after 20, I guess this is my 26th year of being a fishing guide. Um, you know, I don't look forward to trout fishing as much as I used to. Right. Uh, I've just done a lot of it, so that's where the the real estate's come in, and it's really exciting to, in this market today that we're that we're in. Um, you know, but like I said, the synergy from the fishing clients and all the connections I have are just kind of that momentum is moving into the real estate, and so you know you kind of see how it all works together. And if you if you can put it all together, it's been a really fun fun career I've had, and I'm looking forward to the next. 20 years of it, I hope. I don't know about 20 years. <laughs> Next few years, anyway. <laughs> However long it takes to do, you know, to, to finish right. it up. Yeah, I yeah. got you. I, I'm interested, yeah, it, though. it might take 20 years. <laughs> I, I want to take you back to that Smith River guiding that you did as a, you know, as a college kid and with your teammates and stuff because as a Montanan, yeah. and now a guy who's been all over the world but but still calls Montana's home and, and, and loves the state, what was it like to have presumably a lot of people from out of state come and you set them up on this, you know, this pristine river and you take them on the tour and everything's set up for them? Did you get a kick out of showing people this place? Because it, it is special. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really did. And people come and they, they don't know what to expect and you share your experiences and and as a fly fishing guide, we do a lot of teaching and, and instructing. I mean, I'm, I basically teach people how to do that, and uh, that's been really fun. People seem to to gravitate toward it. They can, you know, some people pick it up quicker than others, but it's 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 always been something I've really enjoyed, and I do. I love Montana. I, I'll be here all my whole life. Um, that's the plan anyway, and it, I just love sharing it with people, and especially people who who appreciate the same thing I do. And most of the time, your your fishing clients are just exactly that. They 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 like it. They like the outdoors. They like that environment. And I'll tell you, I mean, fly fishing takes you to beautiful places. That's one thing I've learned for certain. We don't fly fish in ugly places very often. That is a fact. Um, that is a fact. Yeah. Circling back to just the team and the the aspect of of a national championship twenty five years later. I know we're doing a lot of Zoom calls now, but you mentioned and other guys have talked about, you know, getting on the call with some of the teammates and coaches from that 95 team and, and kind of reliving a little bit of that. A, a lot of guys that play sports in college have those friendships that last over the course of time. But how special is it to be, you know, part of that group that is remembered the way that you are for that first national championship that you had and the continuing you know, friendships, relationships that you have, even to, you know, in the last couple of months, you guys have all been together as best as you can be and, and, and talking about what it was like. Yeah, no, it it's an honor to be a part of that group. Uh, it's a special bunch of guys. And, you know, we, I think we probably will, you know, as a group, we admit we don't probably see each other in person as much as we'd like to. Those zoom meetings were awesome. Uh, but it, it was just, the, that group of guys was, I, I don't know, lifelong friends, all of them. Uh, you know, I still stay in touch, some more than others, but I, you know, I still keep in touch with all of them. And uh, you know, I don't know what more to say. They're just, just a special group of guys. When you win a national championship and you're in the moment, a, a huge thrill for, for any athlete, certainly, and for any young man, certainly. But how has your perspective mm-hmm. of that accomplishment changed over the last 25 years? Because you will forever be, Mike Agee, an All-American offensive lineman on, an, on a national championship team. It's, it's sort of a defining element of your, of your resume and of your life. So, I mean, how has your perspective as you've grown into an adult changed uh, from what happened 25 years ago? 
I don't think my perspective has changed a lot other than it maybe realizing how hard it is to, to attain that um, and how hard those championships, those championships are to win um, because the, the Grizz have been there a few times and have come away without them. And just to be there is, is a tough thing, but no, my perspective is, is, is about the same and just, it's a special thing to be able to, to be a part of. And uh, man, they're elusive. Those, 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 those championships are hard to get. And I know that's what they're fighting to get back to. And I, you know, wish them the, the best of luck, of course. Uh, but I, I do realize now that that is a difficult thing to attain. That was sort of the launching point for the University of Montana football program. And since then, nationally elite, I know that this last 10 years hasn't gone like the following 15 after the national championship did. I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. an unbelievable run up until 2009. And I still think that most programs in the country would take the last 10 years. It's just that Montana has that high of expectations. But have you considered the influence that you guys had just on sort of helping Montana rise to that level of of becoming one of the prestigious and, and honored football programs in the country? Uh, yes, definitely. We, you know, I've, I've I've thought about that, and and you you contemplate, you know, what we did and how that launched them into what they did afterwards, and and what they strive to be now. I mean, Coach, how I know that's where he wants to be, and uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you, we realize it, and you know, like I said, I don't I don't think at the time we knew what we were doing. We were just trying to win one game at a time, but in doing that, we definitely set the bar for where the program is now. And, and I think everybody wants it to stay at that level. Um, and it's an, ex, it's exciting that we were the guys that did that. I think it's a, it's a huge you know, accomplishment and, you know, I, we just hope to get back to that level and stay there. That's where we should be. Well, Mike, I'll tell you what, we really appreciate you joining us here on uh, Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. It's been great to relive uh, some of those memories with you and hear about what you're up to these days as well. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions podcast. This podcast is made possible thanks to First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. We also want to offer a great deal of thanks to Mike Agee for joining us in this episode. Rate, review, and subscribe to Grizz Greats wherever you get your podcasts. Then they'll come to you each and every week when they're released throughout this 2020 calendar year. For Colter Nuanas, I'm Ryan Tutel. Until next time, take care.